You're listening to the CPR of Life podcast, a show about creating community through connection, awakening potential, and uncovering the resilience of the human spirit through an understanding of state of mind. It's about living a life well-lived and uncovering what often gets in the way. Hello and welcome. Joining me on today's episode is Janelle Sims, a professional trainer, three principles practitioner, and a coach. Janelle has such a beautiful heart and donates time to the homeless and others who are suffering. We are both members of the three principles community as well as a mastermind group. And when I heard about the work that Janelle was doing, I was really curious and I wanted to hear more. I think this is going to be a great conversation. So welcome today. We have Janelle, and I appreciate the fact that you're taking the time to chat with me today, Janelle, and happy birthday. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much, and it's my pleasure. I won't ask you how old you are. (laughs) No. (laughs) I was just saying to you earlier, I wouldn't remember. I can never get the number right. (laughs) It's just a number. It changes every year. It changes every year, so I just can't keep track of it. <laughs> Janelle, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about about yourself? Sure. What kind of things would you do? You think they'd be looking for? Mm. Like a, a just you know, like what, like what do you do? Like where you're located in the world? Um, anything that you really kind of feel compelled to share? Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, so my name is Janelle Sims, and um, I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, but grew up in southern Ontario, although I think I've been here longer than where I grew up. You didn't know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Windsor area. Oh. A little town called St. Clair Beach. Yeah. Okay. And um, I work here as a three principles practitioner. So I mostly work with um, the homeless, but I also coach clients and do workshops and a variety of things like that. And I have a husband and no pets or anything, no kids, although I do have um, grandkids through my husband, uh, a stepdaughter and grandkids through my husband. So I get to visit them every once in a while. They live in Alberta. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Winnipeg. That's a... I know it wasn't where I thought I was going to end up. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you think yeah. about it. <laughs> I thought I was going to be in Paris or London or Rome or something or Singapore, and I'm here in Winnipeg. <laughs> how, how, how did that happen? How did you end up in Winnipeg? Well, I, my ex-husband. <laughs> That's why he's an ex. Yeah, he got moved here for work, and um, after we split up, I just stayed. He left, so <laughs> and that worked out okay. <laughs> yeah. I found a very nice other gentleman to, to hang out with. So. <laughs> that's why you went. So that's there you go. That's the reason there you went to pay. Um, Janelle, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I'm fascinated and kind of humbled by your work with homeless people. I always, Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to kind of have a conversation around that. What brought you into working with homeless people? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I never had anything in my background that would have pointed me in that direction. But um, 
the experience that I had with the three principles. Um, is your audience familiar with the three principles in a way? Both. Or both. Okay. So there will so be. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a spiritual understanding of life, um, but a very practical understanding of life as well. And when I came across it, I had a really profound kind of three-day awakening experience. And at the same time that I had this experience, I was dealing with um, some people next door. So the house had been rented and there was a family that had moved in um, that had come from up in northern Manitoba. And they brought a lot of um, drug addiction and alcoholism and um, gang stuff with them. And when families or friends would come in to visit them from out of town, they'd all stay at the house. Um, so it got to be a little scary because we were in this nice, safe little neighborhood. And all of a sudden, I'm constantly looking out my front door. And I wasn't appreciating it. And it was... Um, starting to be a little scary. And so my husband and I went to the police to find out about it because we were getting concerned. And they looked up the information about who was in the house and um, they said, well, um, you have a right to be concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and sleep tight tonight. <laughs> and sleep tight tonight. And so they put us in touch with... Um, <clears throat> the local police department and they have kind of a, a liaison uh, community service that we could speak to. And so uh, we went and spoke to them and the gentleman said to us, well, uh, what's happened is it's a house that is being rented to um, someone from a native community and this particular native community up North, they suffer a lot with drugs and alcoholism. And so they've kind of brought their community here mm. and um, he said, it shouldn't be too much trouble, but um, just keep a bat at the back door just in case. <laughs> and, and so my husband and I were just like, you know, we were, we were really concerned. We didn't want to live like this. And I was, like I said, I was constantly looking outside and then they would have parties until three, four o'clock in the morning and we could feel the bass beat through the house. And we'd wake up in the morning and there'd be, this started in the winter. So there'd be footprints and the snow all over. There was break-ins in their house all the time. Um, police coming, ambulance coming. So this was not the experience that we wanted and we were afraid. And then my husband looked up information on native gangs and made us even feel worse. <clears throat> and um, so we decided we were going to sell the house. And we thought, well, we need to sell it before, um, before too soon because this place is going to be destroyed and then we won't be able to sell ours because no one will want to live next door. And um, there was a lot of pressure in that because we weren't ready to move. And we couldn't agree on where we were going to move to, whether it was an apartment or a condo or buy another house and just nothing was going well. And I was really stressed out with that. He was stressed. We weren't getting along. <clears throat> and at the same time, um, this was prior to this spiritual awakening that I had. Um, I was dealing with a lot of depression anyway, and it was getting worse. And I was trying to fix myself through self-help and nothing was working. <laughs> And so what ended up happening was I gave up on my self-help. I kind of came to a, a realization after 20 years of trying to fix myself, 25 years, that nothing was working. 
And I, I realized I'm just going to have to live with myself all, all messed up. I'm just going to have to accept it and live. I've got a job. I've got a husband. You know, I've got a home. I'm safe, you know, relatively, except for the next <laughs> yeah. And so I gave up. And at the same time, my husband and I gave up the idea of selling the house. It was so stressful and nothing was working out that we just decided, well, we're going to um, give that up. And I don't know what happened in that space, but I think in, in, I understand now that in the space of giving up, uh, instead of trying to fix, trying to control the world and just accepting things the way they are, that you drop a lot of thinking. And I think that's what made my experience of coming across this three principles understanding so profound was that um, I was ready for it and I was ready to hear it. So, when I had this experience, it um, came in the form of, first of all, realizing, uh, just dropping a lot of my thinking and having a, a full-out um, physical, visceral feeling of 200 pounds of weight being lifted off my shoulders. And the realization that I was, that I had been making up all my thinking all my life, I realized I was living in an illusion and that I'd made everything up. And so all that, that suffering... What's how, did, how did you come to that realization? Oh, okay. So where that came from was at the time that I'd given everything up, I stopped the self-help search, but I um, came across a blog of a friend and they said they were uh, with these people called the Pranskys. And I'd never heard of the Pranskys before and I um, didn't know anything about them. And I really wasn't looking for more self-help, but I thought I'll just see who they are. And I found the Three Principles movie site and I watched about an hour of the movies and um, I came to one with Jack Pransky and Jack Pransky was explaining it like all the other videos do. And he said, how can we take ourselves seriously in light of the fact that we're making it all up? And I didn't hear that just in my head. I heard it in my soul. I realized the truth of it. I realized that oh my God, all that suffering, all those things that I thought I should be doing or things that I thought I should be were all completely made up. And so it gave me this visceral experience of losing this 200 pounds of weight. And I equate that to my personal thinking, how constrictive and physical it is on your body when you carry around a lot of thinking. Yeah. And my personal sense of who I was, you know, just completely disappeared. And I also had after that just kind of three days of experiencing myself as Janelle, but also being outside of myself as if I could watch myself from outside of myself, like I was in a snow globe or something and I was watching everything going on and everything that was going on in the world was perfect. And I felt this love that I'd never experienced before in my life. It was uh, what I call un- the unconditional and impersonal. All the love I'd ever had in my life before was personal. It had something attached to it. It was like a person. I loved that person or that thing. And I would feel lost if they were gone. And I had judgments about them and liked it when they did things and didn't like it when they did other things. You know, I, there were conditions. I saw how all my love had conditions. Yeah. And this was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. It was way greater than any love I'd ever had for my family, for my husband, 
and I felt it for everyone and everything. And I realized in that moment that, oh, this is what all the wise have been pointing through, pointing to throughout time. This is what people refer to as God when they have a God experience. Mm. This, this is that. <laughs> and I, I had that experience for those three days. So what was interesting is part of the insight that I had over those three days what I, was I realized that I'm always going to be perfectly fine no matter what happens, even if I die. And I saw the illusion of fear, like the feeling of fear is simply an illusion. And I realized, oh, I've got nothing to be afraid of of the people next door. And I saw, I also saw with them, oh my God, they're exactly the same as me. I saw I was exactly the same as them. So I went from seeing them as people who were less than me in some way, even though I kind of felt sorry for them because they were dealing with drugs and addictions, but they were, you know, thank God I'm not that is probably what I would feel. With this experience, I, I lost all of that. I felt immediately intense love and compassion for them. And I realized that they were not only me because we're all part of this one thing that I can't explain, but I know how it feels. But I also saw that the way that they, they were experiencing the world was the same way as me. They were having thoughts. They were insecure. They created um, a, a negative feeling. And they either acted out from it in anger or they took drugs or alcohol so that they could feel better because they didn't know why they were feeling bad. And I just realized, oh my God, it's, it's the same for every human being on the planet. We're all dealing with this kind of hidden, insecure thought flowing through us, thinking, taking it seriously and somehow acting out on it or doing things to cope with it, to make us feel better, whether we're taking drugs and alcohol like they were to numb the pain or whether they're, you know, I had, I had realizations about, Oh my God, all the people on, um, uh, you know, trying to make more money and try to make bigger businesses. They're all, it's all the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. They're just looking outside of themselves for happiness. Yeah. So after I had that experience, seeing those individuals one way and then seeing them completely different. I just, first of all, knew that I had to work in this, that I couldn't do the work that I was doing before, which was as a corporate trainer for a company that I'd been with for 20, more than 25 years. Because all the work that I did before was assuming that people are broken and you fix them. And you identify everything that's wrong and you give them training so that they can be better than they are. And I realized that, what I was doing and what everyone's doing in that, and even all the self-help books are doing is looking in the wrong direction. Yeah. People are already perfectly fine. There's nothing broken, you know, and the more that they see that or understand that or get insight into that some way, the, they can turn their lives around without any help. It's just getting realizations of this and then they can go do what they want (laughs) you know such a different feeling like in the body and and it's such a different message to or even a starting point to say you know starting from oh my goodness you're broken and you need to be fixed versus you are never broken you know yeah there's nothing about you that needs to be fixed and all of a sudden it's like whew yeah 
So that's kind of what brought me to the work at the homeless shelter. I um, Right away, even while I was still working for the corporation, I went to the homeless shelter because I can deliver training workshops. I've been doing them all my life. And so I just approached them. And at the time that I approached them, they ended up saying, well, we've got this drop-in center and everybody hangs out, hangs out here and they haven't got much to do. So we're looking for activities and programs for them. So I kind of got dropped onto their lap, you know, <laughs> and they were very happy to, to have me there. So since then, I go there once a week, and it's actually expanded to another facility. So I, I dedicate one day a week to my volunteer work at the homeless shelter. And I do um, just a listening post at one where it's a homeless shelter in trans, it's, it's a residence in transition trying to uh, get people into work, although many of them are not going to work that are, that are in that particular building. <clears throat> but um, the ones at the homeless shelter, I do kind of a hangout. And whoever shows up, um, I share what I know about life and or we just have a talk and I get them to calm down a little bit and just relax a little bit. Um, and so so that's the work that I do with them. And um, yeah, I was just driven to that because I don't know, I just had this such a profound experience from going to thinking people are less to realizing they were exactly like me. And then having this heartfelt desire to help this community that was suffering. Did you, not, it's not just maybe thinking of that others are less, but even, you know, maybe in that whole journey of self-help and that exploration was that you were less than, you know? And Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I never, I never made that connection or put it that way, but I can see how um, all that is is judgment. Right. And all it is, is me kind of propping myself in some way to make myself feel better. I have to make other people feel less. And I don't do it consciously, but I know that every time I judge someone, no matter who they are, that's ultimately what my system is doing. I'm feeling insecure. If yeah. I wasn't feeling insecure, I would have no reason to judge anybody ever, yeah. you know? So I, now that you point that out, yeah, I see that in... You know, I would have judgment about leaders that I would work for that would drive me crazy <laughs> because they should be acting better because they have this responsibility and this pay. And sometimes they were worse than many other people in the organization. Yeah. So, yeah. But that, again, is all me judging them because in some way it makes me feel better because I'm because I'm insecure in the moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting. So now, after you kind of came across, like, you had this realization, you came across the three principles understanding, how did your relationship, or did you have a relationship with your neighbors, and how did that change? Well, it did with our neighbors, because I wasn't afraid of them anymore. And um, so we had, we got to know them a little bit anyway, and we had lovely conversations with them. Um, and they ended up uh, moving out of the house after a while. So um, we only got to know them for about probably four to six months. And um, I had like a little bit of a thing that happened. Initially, I wanted to tell them uh, what I had learned. But you can't just go and tell this to people. <laughs> I know. You already discussed this. I know. <laughs> it's because it comes across as evangelism or something. Or, you know. <laughs> 
so you just share it with people who are interested, basically. And <laughs> since they weren't necessarily coming over to ask me about it, yeah. <laughs> I had a de- but I had a desire to share it to them. And um, it was funny, I ordered a couple of books, uh, The Missing Link from right after I had my understanding, I wanted to learn more. So I'm ordering all the books. And I ordered a couple of Sid Banks Missing Links books. And I, I only meant to order one and I accidentally ordered two. And I don't know how I did, but I did. <laughs> so I thought, well, what can I do with this extra one? And then it, it occurred to me, oh, I'm going to give it to the people next door. And I, I put a little um, letter inside of it explaining how I saw it and what it had done for me. And I shared with them that I saw that they laugh and they love and they have all sorts of, um, you know, positive things going on. But at the same time, they're suffering. And that if they were to potentially look at this, there might be something there for them to see. So I never signed a letter because I didn't have the nerve yet to. <laughs> this is terrible. I hate to say it, but I, just, I was still afraid a little bit, you know. And um I didn't know how they would take it and I didn't want to create more trouble than there already was. So um, what was interesting though, was for the first day and a half after they got the book in their mailbox, they were really quiet and there was no trouble and um, they were all in a really good mood. And there was a woman um, out on the front lawn and she was talking on this, her cell phone and I could hear her saying, wow, this is the best I've felt in in such a long time and um i thought oh so there could be something there you know maybe they saw something in there that helped them see beyond their own suffering you know so um i did talk to them a little bit later uh, about it but um it never really went any further than that um we just got to know each other and um laughed a little bit and talked a little bit when we saw each other yeah. and um yeah so, <laughs> um, <clears throat> it just reminded me when you were talking about the, you know, like you do want to share this with everybody because yeah. when you kind of come across it and understand like the power of thought and, and it's so profound, it really, really is. And it just, I just had this vision of, you know, like, I think it's in London where they have like a speaker's corner where like, there's like, I don't know, every Sunday or something, somebody can just, oh, go they shout, they stand <laughs> on the box. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should all be doing. Um, <laughs> well, so, you know, the funny thing was, is I didn't tell my husband that I had written this letter or given out the book. Uh, but then when I, after I did it, I thought I have to tell him this is something I should tell him. And he made a joke about me turning into, um, you know, handing out my watchtower brochures. <laughs> and I think he was a little bit concerned, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> and rightly so. <laughs> so going back to the work at the homeless shelter what yeah. do you um do you see as as i want to say struggles for them but maybe challenges is a better word yeah um they are absolutely no different than anybody else like there is absolutely no difference with this understanding of how thought affects our experience, um, I saw myself that I could have absolutely nothing, no roof, no home, no food, 
no clothing, <laughs> and I would be perfectly fine. I saw something of my soul outside of my personal circumstances, and that that was where happiness existed. That was where well-being and peace and security existed within me. It didn't have anything to do with my circumstances. And so when I see them at the shelter, I see that, yeah, they have a lot of trauma. They have definitely had some horrific experiences happen to them. Um, terrible, terrible abuse of, of people who, when they were younger, <clears throat> torn away from their families, um, drug addiction, prostitution, um, violent behavior of all kinds. And um, so they're, they're in a very challenging environment, let alone getting a place to stay and getting food and, you know, getting the basics even just to survive. But I also know in the, the core of my soul that they're okay underneath. And I see it. I see it when I'm with them. Because they are in way more horrific circumstances than I am. And they laugh. Yeah. And they, 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 they navigate life. They're surviving. So they're constantly tapping into their wisdom, their well-being, even though they can't see it themselves. And so my responsibility with them is just to love them without condition, <laughs> try to get out of my head and into my heart, which isn't always easy, you know, yeah. but because you're I easy. know, yeah, I'm human. And to just keep pointing out to them what they have inside of them and noticing when they're, you know, I'll, I'll point out, well, look how much you've quietened down from when you first came in, or I'll give them a hug and I can feel the love in them, you know, and how can you feel that? <laughs> you know, And they'll, we'll have conversations that kind of um, get them the opportunity to see, Oh, I have this ability with my thinking to not pay attention to it, to um, use it more wisely when it occurs to me. Um, and so that's all I'm ever looking for. And um, they really aren't any different. They're just, they're just at the extreme end of things that they have to deal with. And that, that breaks my heart <laughs> because sometimes I get caught up in it I see how difficult it is for them to do anything. I mean, you know, you and I, let's say we book an appointment and maybe somebody messes up at the appointment or we're trying to pay for a bill and somebody's messing around because we didn't get the right department or something. And, you know, it'll take me a couple of days to get a problem straightened out and I'll complain about it to everybody. You know, <laughs> yes. you know they have that, but 10, 20, 30, 100 times. Yeah. If they want to do anything, you know, they don't have ID or their stuff gets stolen because of where they are or they, they're in an apartment and they get settled and then they get bed bugs from the people that are living next door and then, it get, and then they get kicked out and they've got nowhere to stay because they, like, it's just, yeah. and every time they want to do anything, they don't have the right paperwork and they get shuffled around and nobody trusts them, nobody respects them. And so not only do they have to deal with these challenges, but they've got no people don't pay attention to them and they dismiss them. They treat them like they are less. Yeah. And, and so it's just, but despite that, despite the hell that they go through, I still see them laugh. I still see them do kindnesses to other people that are so beautiful. 
I see that, well, when they're really desperate, they do find something to do to get the problem fixed, or they just learn to be really patient, you know? And, um, yeah, and really so resourceful, really, really resourceful. Yeah. And, um, yeah, really, really incredibly resourceful and a, an ability to put up with stuff that you and I would not. What's their response to you? It varies. You know, I, um, <clears throat> I have a few regulars that, um, come back and have had some insights from some of this, um, some who really love Sid Bank stuff. So I bring CDs and um, we'll play his stuff and just listen to it. Or sometimes we talk about it. Um, there's the majority of people just come in and out though. Uh-huh. Um, it's hard to gain trust and to, um, at least that's a story I've made up anyway, but um, <laughs> like everything else. But they come in and they're not naturally trusting. And there's lots of uh, religious people who want to push stuff on them. You know, another understanding, telling me what I need to believe in or what I need to know. And so there tends to be pushback on that. So there's lots who just come in. And I'm just happy if they fall asleep in the comfortable chair that's in the room I'm in. Or we just talk about whatever they want to talk about. And all I'm looking for is to see them calm down a bit Uh and to look for opportunities to point out their wisdom to them. And if they hear something great and if they don't hear that's okay, because I know just for at least a little bit, they're safe and they're warm and they don't have somebody telling them that they're broken and they need to be fixed and there's something wrong with them. They're accepted. And, um, and then sometimes I don't see them again because it's a homeless shelter. (laughs) You know, So they get a place to stay and I don't see them again or they don't come back um, because they're hanging out somewhere else. So, yeah. If you say to them that they're not broken and they don't need to be fixed, what's their reaction to that? I don't really talk about it that way. I don't think I've ever really said it out directly. I'm mostly trying to get them to see it out of something that they can relate to. Because I know if someone says to me, Janelle, you're broke, you're not broken and you don't need fixing, doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank what you are you talking much. about? Yeah. What do you know that I don't know? <laughs> yeah, so I'll look for, um, so for example, this one girl was, she said she was telling me a story about how she had gone into the, the drop-in center and there was a, a group of people sitting at a table or woman sitting at a table and she'd taken her boots and put them on top of the table. And this woman was angry, angry that someone would do that and put the boots up on the table. And she has a history of violence. And so she was getting ready to beat the crap out of that person. But she's had a few insights in the past, not necessarily from our discussions, but from people she's worked with in the past. And she realized, I don't want to go there because when I get into a fight with someone, it just gets worse and something happens that I don't want to be involved in. I'm going to walk away. So she's angry, but she has enough common sense to walk away. So she can't stay there because she's angry. And the more she looks at it, it gets her angry. So it occurs to her to leave and just walk and get out of there. So I would point that out to her that, oh, that's an insight. You know, that's you in the moment realize like you had a thought that you wanted to harm somebody but you had another thought I don't want to do that because it just gets me into trouble 
and I need to get out of here to protect myself and protect them, basically. So then she said she started walking, and as she's walking, she's thinking about the person again, and she's getting mad, 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 mad. She turns around, she's going to walk back and beat the crap out of them. But after she turns around, she has another little insight again. And she doesn't call those insights. She goes, oh, it just occurred to me, I don't want to do that. So she turned around. And, so she did this about three times. And so this was just an example where, oh, this is your wisdom. This is how thinking works. Yeah. This is how you can have a thought and think you're going to do one thing. But then there's a little voice that says, hey, don't do that. You're going to get in trouble. Despite the fact that you're angry and frustrated, you listen to the little voice, the little wise voice that takes care of you. And you, um, you did what you needed to do to protect yourself in the moment. And you got this idea to get out of there and walk away. And you got caught up in your thinking again. <laughs> you know? And then you got clear again. So it'll be things like that where um, they'll tell me a story and I can see the wisdom in it. I can point out where they're hearing the little voice that of um, wisdom. And when they're on the flip side, paying it, not paying attention to it and paying attention to the louder screaming, you got to do this. This is yeah. wrong. Yeah. 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 I do some work with um, women and children in Asia who've been trafficked. And I also mentor women in business in third world countries. Well, and I find I learn so much. I, it's not me who's kind of teaching them things. Yeah. I think that, you know, do you find that? Because like, every time I leave, I leave a session with any of them, I just, I'm blown away. My mind is just like, wow. Do you have yeah. something similar? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think the work that I do at the shelter is for them. I think it's for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I am terrible at sharing this understanding, like really, because I can't, I can't, I can't explain it. I really can't. I can't get anyone anywhere near close to that experience that I had and try to make sense out of it. So I really have a lot of insecurity about how terrible I am at this. <laughs> and I have, even though I know I'm helping people, you know, but it's where my humor goes. But I, I just know that every time I go there, I don't know what's going to show up. And I have all sorts of thinking that comes with it. You know, who's going to come in? What am I going to say? Where's the conversation going to go? Um, and so I get to watch myself going into that crazy, you know, and then meeting them and seeing where it goes and having it be a really good, amazing conversation or have it go absolutely nowhere and be frustrated and and, you know, and so it's basically been, um, you know, 250 lessons <laughs> of these, <laughs> these hangouts that I've done going there and learning how to, how to be out of my head and be in my heart and just be the authentic me and accept life whatever way it's given to me see that there's more going on in the universe than I can figure out uh, and just show up and have the opportunity that someone's going to see the truth of their own wisdom within themselves and be able to tap into it. And I'm sure some people have been touched in various ways. 
And I kind of, in a way, like it that I don't ever see them again because it stops me from needing people to be fixed for me to feel better, you mm-hmm. know? Because that's, oh, it's just like another thing that you get trapped into, you know? You, you're trying to help people, and then if, if they don't appear to be helped, then there's something wrong with you. Or, and you need, you need people to feel better for you to feel better. Oh my God. That's such, it is, it's such a hamster wheel. I remember going to um, Jack Pransky, a workshop with him last year, and it was Mm -hmm. phenomenal. And you know, there's there's a couple of things he brought up, because I was, I was working with somebody who had suffered some really, really severe trauma. Mm -hmm. And I had said to him, I just, I want her to see what an incredible, you know, strong, resilient, yeah, amazing know. person that she is. And, he, you know, what came across from this conversation was that was my ego. That's yeah, what yeah. I, I wanted her to see. I and know. what I realized was when I was having conversations with her, I was looking for points to point that out to her. Yes, I know. So I wasn't fully present. I know. <laughs> You're like, yes. And what he, what I learned in that workshop was the power of deep listening. And he yeah. said, you show up as an empty vessel. Yeah. Completely empty vessel. It doesn't matter what I want for her. No. My job as a coach is, is, is to give her the space to see that for herself, whatever that may be. And it's, it was profound. It changed everything yeah. for how I show up. Amazing. But what came up for me when you were talking was, because this comes up for me with, when I'm working with people, especially if for some reason kids have this like spidey sense. Do people yeah. at, the, at the homeless shelter know when you're caught up in your head and when you're kind of just really present with love? And yeah, you know, it could be. Although I have not been wise enough to notice, although that's not necessarily true. There's a human feeling dance that happens when you're with people. Yeah. And you can feel when um, there's a push and when there's an openness. And I, I can feel when, um, you know, I share something and it's just not landing on them. And so then I just back off. You know, and I get out of the way or, uh, you know, I look at something in a, in a different direction. So there is definitely my ability anyway to feel that. And I, I can bet that they can feel it with me, but I haven't, I don't think been keen enough to notice the signs of what that looks like, unless I'm also feeling it too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of experiences do you have? Like where you're, they call you out on it? (laughs) Um, with kids, well, sometimes like it's, <clears throat> I have seen with kids where they're just, again, one of these things where I more so when I first kind of started working with them, um, yeah. again, I had an agenda and I, what I find is when I have an agenda of where yeah. I think they should be, yeah. they're, they, they're just like, <laughs> not going to happen, you know? Yeah. And because that comes from exactly what you were talking before. It's our need for them to see this or yeah. them to do something differently than what they're doing. And yeah. that's coming from us. 
Yeah. Completely. Whereas if you just show up and you're just kind of in that space with them, whew, like that's where the magic is. Yeah. You know, because we, we don't know what they need. We think, you know, I, I think that's what it was. Is I used to think I knew, I, I know what you need. <laughs> I have the recipe and it's the only one. Um, so <laughs> now I look back and I'm like, Ooh. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. And, and, and to be honest, I still do it in many ways. You know, I'm, it's just yeah. like this game that I play where, you know, I'm, I'm, with this understanding, you just begin to get more familiar with what your yeah. what your system is up to, and yeah. you can kind of begin to get a sense when you're coming from an insecure place because yeah. it feels like you're pushing it feels like you're trying to do something rather than just hanging out, yep. loving people, <laughs> see what comes up, share yeah. a bit of a stuff if it occurs to you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> And and that's all it is, yeah. But it's I've had two hundred and fifty lessons uh, with those those hangouts, and I'm still I'm still I'm still learning. It's I think it's going to be a lifelong thing. And and I do I think that's what it is. Um, I heard Bill Pettit say, "You're either I think it was Bill Pettit said, you're either in your thoughts or you're in the moment. Yeah, you can't be in both at the same time." Yes. And I was like, so I've, I've been pondering that this week and I've been just kind of noticing when I'm, you know, <laughs> you know, and it, it's true. It's like when you, and it's so easy to just get caught yeah. up in thoughts of, you know, huh, what am I making for dinner? What am I going to do? You know, you know, and, and it, it's so easy. And but so when easy. we're in that, we are not in the moment. No. And the, the challenge that, that I have made up that I have is that I come from a discipline where I was paid to pay attention, to pay, pay attention to my thinking. Yeah. And, you know, I went into a classroom and I was very aware of what the temperature was in the classroom. And if I was standing up or sitting down, or if I had my, where I arranged myself in the room to manage over participators and under participators and how I would lead people through exercises. I was very aware of, um, and where my thinking was all the time, you know, and I taught people. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I used to be so tired when I would finish my training sessions. I would, you know, if I was out of town, I'd just basically get there in the morning, do the session. And then I'd leave, you know, clean up, leave, and then just pass out in my hotel room and order room service. Yeah. You know, it was all I could yeah. barely, barely manage. But um, so I'm used to going in there and it's just habit for me. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, a lot of the work that I did before was teaching people, um, like watching people have conversations and um, looking for questions that you could ask. And I have a whole, you know, a whole pot full of different kinds of questions I can ask for different kinds of situations. So all that stuff is still rumbling around in my head. And I'm doing my very best to let go of all of it, you know. But because you're human, that's just, you know, to me that's part of it. And I mean, I've I've shown up with (laughs) workshops with kids where, in the moment, I've I've just messed up with something. Like, say we're doing activity. Like one time we were yeah. making pom poms, and it was a royal mess. Yeah. I just 
I am not Martha Stewart and I didn't channel my inner Martha Stewart. That yes. Day. And there was one little girl who got so upset because her pom-pom hadn't turned out like it, yeah. it, it should. And I just had to like do full confession with him and be like, I have no idea what the next step is. Isn't that amazing? Like here I am, I'm, you know, such a brilliant conversation. And so, yeah, there is something where you kind of just kind of own up to the humanness of life as well. Yeah, it it really is. um, It's just showing up to life and letting go of everything you think you know and everything you think you are and somehow falling into that space that it's okay to be whatever you are in the moment, you know, whether I'm caught up in my thinking or not. And people feel that, you know, there's a beautiful story of um, George Pransky working with some uh, young kids in a grade school. And he noticed that when he was talking to them, he's used to delivering presentations to adults and he noticed that sometimes he would have their attention and sometimes they, they, he didn't. And after a lot of study and listening over and over and over again to the recording to figure out what the heck was going on, why they had his attention sometimes, or he had their attention sometimes, and why other times they were squirming around, not paying any attention at all, he realized he was in and out of his authenticity. He was in his head or he was in his heart. Yeah, And when he was sharing authentically, no matter what it was, he had their rapt attention. Yeah. And as soon as he got into his ego or started going into, uh, you know, his inauthentic self, whatever that is, um, he wasn't just being George and being okay yeah. with being whoever George was. He was being the George he thinks he should be. Um, uh, he noticed the change and I thought, oh, that's really powerful. And that kind of relates to what you were talking about with kids yeah. where, um, yeah, if we could just be ourselves and not have to, we have all these, uh, you know, walls and artifices that we build to protect ourselves. And um, people can tell when we're using them. Yeah, you so can. Yeah. You so, and I mean, I think we were having conversations, not today, but last week about kind of judgment and being in judgment of others. And, and oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 still me. <laughs> Still there. <laughs> so, yes, we're still there well, because we're human. We have a That's heartbeat. Right. So. That's right. I feel yeah. a lot. I feel a lot. Um, I don't feel as bad about it anymore. Yeah. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I was having a conversation with my brother that night, and we were talking about it. And he said, "You can be in good judgment of somebody. Judgment doesn't necessarily have to be like bad." Because I was talking about how like putting people on a pedestal, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> and it's still judgment. Um, Janelle, what do you think is one of your biggest insights from spending time with people at the homeless shelter or does that shift? Yeah, it's, um, for me, it is just an ongoing learning process. I think one of the, the most powerful things for me is that I keep going despite the fact that I don't know that it's uh, that that it's okay for me to go there and just show up and do the best that I can and be okay with however it turns out yeah. um, and I'm not always okay with it you know every once in a while I'll get um, you know a couple of challenging ones or I won't have people show up for two or three times in a row and oh what's the matter with me I'll get you know I'll get down <laughs> yeah. or whatever and why am I doing this I should be doing something else um, but I keep going. And, um, I can't exactly say why, 
although I know deep in my heart why. And um, I know that there's always an opportunity. And I guess the biggest thing is that it's just a constant learning lesson for me. And I'm so privileged to have this opportunity. Like who in our community gets the opportunity to have conversations with people once a week that are with people who are so challenged and who bring every range of language, of culture, of physical ailment, of mental ailment. I mean, a lot of them can't even talk very well or, you know, or bring all this trauma. And just to be able to um, just be present to that. That's yeah, a, so yeah. it's not really a, an insight per se, but just an ongoing appreciation, really, really for that. Jenna, you have something coming up with uh, Mark Howard. Um, there's something happening in Winnipeg, in the, the big yes. city of Winnipeg. Tell the me a big little city bit about of Winnipeg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, Mark Howard actually uh, graduated from the University of Manitoba. He didn't grow up here, but I think he got oh. his doctorate here. I wonder and, why um, he chose Winnipeg. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm going to ask him though when he comes here. Yeah. So um, it's funny. I've had all sorts of conversations with him and I never asked him that. Yet. <laughs> so um, uh, we had a conversation about bringing him here because it would give him an opportunity to um, come back to the city and visit and um, for us to do a workshop together. So Mark Howard has been um, sharing this understanding for over 36 years. He's um, a board-certified psychologist, and he um, has a gift. He's a beautiful, big, teddy, teddy bear heart and um, has a really sweet way of sharing this understanding. And um, obviously, it's affected him in a great way, and because he is so grounded himself, he has that ability to kind of bring it out in others. So um, I just get to hang out with him for a few days. So he's doing a work, we're doing a workshop that goes on Friday. It's over the May long weekend. Okay. So it's May 17 evening and May 18 during the day. And then we're doing a workshop for practitioners. So those who um, already know the principles or um, in some way and want to share them or are already sharing them. And that'll be all day Sunday and a half a day Monday morning. Okay. So, um, yeah. So he's coming in for that. And if anybody wants any information on it, they can um, just reach me at my contacts and I'll send yeah. them the flyers. That's perfect. That's per And I'll also put that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So the workshop is called uh, Discovering Contentment and Mental Well-Being. Nice. And the second workshop for the practitioners is called Maximizing Your Impact. Mm, nice. Yeah. Um, is there like a limit? Do you have a size limit or is it? Yeah, we have room for 50 people in the public workshop and okay. for the practitioner workshop, we're limiting it to 10 or 12 people okay. because we want the small group intimacy. And, um, I wanted the ability for everyone who is, uh, working in sharing this to have an opportunity to really engage with Mark and pick his brain and, right. um, learn from him as much as they can. Awesome. Sounds yeah. like it'll be fabulous. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Janelle, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I appreciate it, especially since it's your birthday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now the entire internet knows, and I don't yeah. post it on Facebook, so nobody knows. So now... <laughs> 
my my life it's is out there. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna break into my bank records. Yeah. Here, yes. if you want my social insurance number? I'll just give you my social. <laughs> I can put that in the show notes too. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. No, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. I love the conversation, and always, as always, yeah. a conversation with you. What an awesome conversation that was. For those listeners who are not in Canada, Winnipeg is the capital of Manitoba and sits almost in the middle of Canada, I think. The population is about 700,000 people. What I absolutely love about having a podcast is the connection and the conversations. I have no idea where they'll go, and I love that. Often at the end of a chat, I can physically feel the connection to the person I'm speaking with. It's such an amazing feeling, and I wish I could somehow translate that to you. Here are a few thought bomb takeaways. When we show up and are fully present without our own agenda or ego, and we meet people where they're at, that is true service. As a coach, that is the space that I hold for others. It's easy to judge others or consider yourself better than those who are less fortunate. But when you change the lens that you're looking through, like you take off the judgment goggles, clean them off, you just might see that others that are struggling or that are less fortunate, they're actually the epitome of of a resilient human being. And finally, thinking, specifically overthinking, is so toxic It can literally feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. An awakening to the power of thought has been life-changing for me, for my clients, for those in my community. And I see it with um, some of my colleagues that take this understanding, um, whether it's in business, in, in prisons, in schools, working with individuals, working with couples. It doesn't matter who it is. When they see the power of thought, there's so much struggle just drops away. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you have questions about the three principles, please do not hesitate to reach out. I think it's evident from all my podcast guests who are members of the community that we love to share this understanding. And keep the emails and feedback coming. I love hearing from you. Until next time, be well, be inspired, be you. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll share this podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Jessie Lynn, please check out the contact page on her website, jessielynnmcdonald.com. Also, we'd be beyond grateful if you would leave us a review. Join us next time for another edition of the CPR of Life.